0: With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson.
1: In this episode of Octodon Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Danny Vega, entrepreneur, coach, consultant, and podcast host A Fat Fueled Family and The Low Carb Hustle. In part one, Danny discussed why balance is not only a myth, but an unsustainable practice, as well as simple strategies that you can use to bring attention to your intention and eliminate decision fatigue. We also explored the domino effect that adversity can have on your family, why balance can keep you stuck, and how to cut down on decision fatigue. You can hear part one on episode 69 of Octa Nonverba. And now, part two of my interview with the fat fueled warrior. Danny Vega. The thing that really got me excited about it was Robert, Orion Sykes, the keto savage. But he was saying how for him, it was about that mental performance. Mm, yeah, And I'm like you as a peak performance guy. I'm like, okay, well, tell me about this mental performance. He's like, you know how it feels when you're on caffeine? It's like you're on caffeine without being on caffeine. And then he's like, then when you have a cup of coffee behind that, I was all like, tell me more. And then... <laughs> This notion of I can eat all the steak I want, all the bacon I want. And for those of you that are poo-pooing that, let me get to the other part of it. For me, everybody that knows my story, I have a lot of inflammation, a lot of injuries in my body. And then Robert was like, listen, this is important because it's not only gonna help you perform better and be the entrepreneur's like secret weapon mentally, but it's gonna give you a better quality of life, just like you mentioned. And I was like, I'm in. And like you said, it's binary. Either you're completely committed. Or you were just making yourself unnecessarily miserable. Stayed on it, got through three days, and I was like, "Wow!" Again, new person woke up, felt like a million bucks. Nothing hurt, which is the first time in a long time that wow. nothing had hurt for me. And then understanding again, you were talking about having this incredible combination of, of true strength and genuine endurance. Uh, I think you know, during the four by four by forty-eight, I fasted. Yeah, that's so that's so awesome. So I. I ate a keto brick before my 10 o'clock run that that night, had nothing except for air, water, and I I did have magnesium and just some electrolytes to make sure I was okay. And then had a keto brick, the first thing I had to eat before we went to Tejas de Brazil and had to smash some steak for sure. But for me, that was a big indication. And so, and it was so crazy to me because I'm trying to raise money to stop human trafficking, right? But the thing that was getting everybody's attention was it's impossible for a human being to run for two days.
2: Without food. I'm like, dude, I'm like, let's do it again next year so I could do it fasted with you. Cause I did it, you know, after like a week after I was just eating, you know, normal. But it's amazing that you can actually say either I'm going to do it with food or I'm going to do it without food. You know, that you have that option. Because I remember when I first decided that I wanted to try this out, I told my wife, cause we do everything together, you know, Mm -hmm. we're very much, when I like high carb, She was eating high carb, begrudgingly every day with me. And she was like, my fat's not high enough. This is terrible. And I'm like, why can't you just eat? I'm not going to lie. I love it because she's always with me doing whatever whatever I want. But I said, this whole keto thing, I just want you to know from what I've read, and this was back then before I devoured 50, you know, I'm obsessive like you are. I was like, it really does seem like cheating is not an option. So I just want to let you know that. And she's like, wait, no cheat days? And it was because we were looking at it from our current point of view where you're miserable all week. And then cheat day starts on Friday or Saturday and it becomes cheat weekend. Mm -hmm. And at 10 o'clock at night on Sunday, you're so stuffed, but you're jamming more food in your mouth because you know, it's going to be over for a week. And I'm like, I just think it's a bad idea. And, And we didn't know, I didn't know, she didn't know. But once we found out, it's like, oh, we just had this wrong. We just needed to let this thing do its thing just for a few days. Because it's like, my wife always says, "Come for the weight loss, stay for everything else." because everybody automatically comes in. they, they heard keto's a magic pill that's going to get them ripped, and then they're like, "Wait a second, my brain, my inflammation, my hunger, my satiety, my ability to keep my body weight without struggling and counting every calorie. I mean, I can go on forever with this stuff. I can say now that if you are, let's say 35 and up, this is the diet that you should be doing. At least half of the year. I don't care who you are. I mean, if you're a professional athlete, maybe, but the things that this diet helps become so important at 35 and up that it gets to a point where I'm like, okay, I'll give you the 15 to 25 year olds, you know, amazing athletes with, you know, no miles on them, you know, right. but when you get put me in a nice 1986 car with 300,000 miles on it and give me keto versus the other alternative. Yeah. And I'm going to be just fine because it's like Ben always used to say, like, we train with our balls when we're young, we train with our brain when we're older, you know, and it's so true. The same thing goes with like your diet. You start to say, okay, I think this is a little bit more important. So I'm going to do this. And the fact that it's so enjoyable is almost not fair. It's almost like I get all this stuff and I still like I'm told that this is restrictive and it's like it's just a bad perception. You know, it's just wrong perception.
1: It is. And people don't understand. They think that just because they have a Wi-Fi signal that they're entitled to be qualified to have an opinion about anything. <laughs> that's so right? It's like, I have Wi-Fi, <laughs> well, I got my Wi-Fi. signal. Therefore, you have to listen to what I have to say. And it's just like, I, I don't, but you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> I'm not going to try to convince you, but that's where it is interesting, where there's enough information out there. If they really want to do it, they'll figure it out. Listening to you, going to follow your content, listening to hustle. All the information is there. If they want it, they just have to decide, am I willing to continue to corroborate my own beliefs and my own excuses? Or am I going to call myself on my bullshit and say, what's the worst that can happen? I take a week out of my life to actually try this. And if nothing happens and nothing's improving, fine. You can go back to, you can always go back to eating the way you are now. Always, always, always is never going to change.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's always going to be waiting for you and it's going to find you. The carbs are going to find you. So if you want them, just wait just a few hours because the next time is going to be there, you know, but just sticking through that first couple of weeks and just now knowing what we know now, like making sure that your electrolytes are up and that you're getting lots of water and that another one that I don't like people doing right away is restricting their calories right away. You know, don't switch to keto and restrict your calories. I actually was down to like, I remember right around 2200 calories, which for me is like very, very, very low. Yeah, And that was right before I switched to keto. And that was where I was to get where I got uh, as I was really lean. It took over a period of four weeks. I increased my calories by like 800 just to stop the hemorrhaging because yeah. I kept losing weight and I kept yeah. out more and I kept getting leaner and, and it was cool. But I was like, okay, but I'm ready to get out of this. I'm ready to. And so I'm like, and now I'm eating. I remember it was like from 2200 to like right around 3000 over a month. And it kept going up. You know, I remember like for the first time in years, I was eating baseline 3,700 calories forever. And when I'm not tracking, I'm right around 3,500. That's a lot of calories, you know, like, I mean, it's a good, healthy amount. I'm not going to say it's a lot. It could be better. It could be more. But, you know, there's people that are going around eating 1,700 calories, men. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, they, they, they don't know. So they're like, this is what I need. And they don't know that they don't understand you know, metabolism as much. They don't understand that adding muscle, the importance of that. Yeah. They don't understand like the importance of eating enough calories just for your ghrelin and your leptin and your metabolism alone. And that's important. And so it's interesting because I'm getting people into this app now that we started and a lot of people was like, this is a lot more than I eat now. And so what I'm telling them is like, look, My goal for you is to stick to this plan as much as possible, but be realistic with yourself. And if you are full, put it aside. Mm -hmm. But if you get hungry again, bring that plate back. Don't you be going off my plan. And adding someone something else is kind of like what my kid tells me. It's like, I'm not hungry for that anymore. I'm hungry for cake now. <laughs> you're full here. You're full of steak. And then you want cake now. You know, like all of a sudden you get an extra stomach. <laughs> and it's like, it's the same thing with this. I'm like, look, I don't care if you eat the whole plant. I want you to. And I want to work towards you eating that plant because we're going to give ourselves more leeway over time. But if you don't finish it, at the very least, put it aside and eat that later. Don't go off your plan and say i'm hungry again it's like you didn't eat your plan you just went off it's like the same thing as focusing on neurological overload sets and intricate like intermittent fasting things and and protein macro percentages and it's like wait how many hours a night are you sleeping and how many you know a, are, you, are you getting outside are you walking that's more important than this right now focus on the big bucket items because if you get those You can just do those for the rest of your life. And unless you want to be sub 10% body fat, you're going to be lean. You're going to be performing well. But we want to do, because we see that psychological thing that tells us, well, maybe this will get me there faster. That's it. And it's like, well, maybe I don't have to do this. But it's like the thing. It's like the balance thing. You know, it's like, but that's so much heavier. You got to do that first, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) It is. And it's it's just like anything. We always want the shortcut, but people don't understand that Consistency discipline is the shortcut. Basically there's two ways to do anything correctly and again.
2: <laughs> that's so true. That is the shortcut. Yeah. There's a saying in Spanish that's la vagancia trabaja doble. It means like laziness makes you work twice as hard.
1: That's exactly it. So all this time that we spend buying these sexy exotic things, this thing that's not going to help us, what is it? Everybody has like a $500 car, but they have a $5,000 speaker system that they put in it, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like I, they're kind of putting the cart before the horse. So understanding what's the priority, as you said, is the key to a lot of that stuff. I just had a Jay Brugio on. Oh, that's my buddy. He just had me on last week to talk about the book. Yeah. I'm going to be in Florida in a couple of weeks, do his show down there. So that'll be awesome. Oh, I, dude. Well, because of you, I met him in that at that pod fest or it was a pod
2: yeah you told me when you did it it wasn't uh summer strong or was it it was
1: it was something like that it was uh in california it was i think it was san francisco or san diego but like he and i were the only two people there that actually there were like a handful of us he and i adam jeremy that actually looked like we worked out we're actually trying to do something outside of (laughs) sell somebody a podcast and it was just like Yeah. I don't know if we fit in here, but then we're all at the gym later on talking about everything. And then when I spoke at Tony Blower's event in Orlando earlier this year, he was in there. So it was like getting to have dinner with him. And again, we go back to what is it? It's about efficiency. It's about, this is what works. It's about compound movements done efficiently. It's about making sure that you're not overblowing everything. And it's like, it brings us back to what really has been working for, for literally centuries for us as humans. But instead of trying to complicate it, that's what everything is about. It seems like everybody wants to make something more intricate, put their spin on it, give you their version of it. But in the end, execution is most important. And whenever we have complexity, it's the enemy of execution, especially in the face of adversity.
2: Yeah. And Jay, I don't know anybody who's been as consistent as he's been. Jay, we met in 2000. Wow. 2000 or 2001 latest. The first time we met, we went to a Snoop concert. He was coaching my buddy. He had me over back when he had a brick and mortar in Jersey. And like Jay used to just give me programs, you know? And I remember looking at them and I remember being so impressed by, I guess, me back then, I was in grad school. I was learning about concepts and I was like learning about all these things. And I remember not only Jay, but other people telling me like, stop focusing so much on the type of program or the philosophy. Because... If you focus on that, you're going to be arguing with people all the time. Just sit back and look at how these football guys work because they were high intensity guys. And I was like, ah, no, you know, it's not scientific, you know, and like his programs, I would look at it and I'm like, okay, four exercises, four sets each, 16 total sets. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And it was like, it's always compound lifts, unilateral work the same thing over and over and over and over. And and what does that win you? Well, everybody who passes by Jay stops and pays him homage because of how consistent he's been and because of the results. And now I'm just like, man, I got to do that. That's what, I mean, I've always been kind of simple in that, but because of how ravenous I am reading stuff, like I have to be mindful of just being like, okay, I know I probably want to start this with everybody now, this new thing that I found but it's probably not for everybody. You know, maybe I should try it with this person cuz of this reason. But yeah, it's it's just simplicity, man. It's just simplicity and everything is just uh people don't understand it. And you know, because of everything like the the phone, we're not even happy doing one thing anymore. The average kid, not my kid, but the average kid is watching TV and on their phone or watching TV and on their game boy or whatever it is and it's like you have to compete with that. By being intentional, and you have to remove as many inputs as possible, and really get—at least for me as a parent—really get my kids to understand the importance of doing one task. I'm like, okay. I used to say, "All right, dinner served. When you're done, go do do this, whatever." And I was like, I learned that that was wrong because just for me, because if I told him that, he would get up off the table and go do that thing, you know. So it's like, okay. I'll tell him after. Right now, this is what we're doing. We're eating. Sit down. Why why are you standing up? You know, he's just, my son is like me. He's like, never stops moving. I'm like, sit down, eat your food, focus on that. That's what we're going to do for now. When we're done with that, we're going to do this. And we're going to do it really, really good. You know? That's it. It's about being present in this moment. Again,
1: I'm not building a wall. I'm laying one brick. (laughs) Yeah, Perfectly. To the best of my capacity, I'm making sure it is the best quality brick that I can find. It is leveled the best mortar. I am putting every breath into this, and then I do it again. I don't worry about the wall. The wall is built through the process. So again, that's back to the beginning of that. And what I've also found is everybody's trying to find the new tactic, the new technique, the new whatever it is, but they don't have a foundation. They don't have true self-knowledge. They're trying to find a why, but they're trying to find somebody else's why, or they're trying to... Plug their why, somebody else's why that sounds good. Yeah, because they don't have a
2: why. Yeah, they don't have a why. So they're like, maybe I should look at this guy's why, or maybe I should just do his program. Oh, and that's why he's doing it. Well, that's my why.
1: That's it. And it's artificial. It's not sustainable. It's like having money as your only why. And the thing is, they don't have the foundation of genuine self-knowledge. And the only way to truly know yourself is through adversity. through doing hard things. Adversity is the gateway to self-knowledge. And without that, you cannot build anything else upon that. Yeah. And that's why I always come back to that as being this like common denominator. There's like understanding diversity, understanding the emotion below that, and then understanding where love fits into that. Either you're acting from a place of love or fear and you can battle the semantics of what that looks like. If I love somebody, I care about them. I give them food. I look out for them. I check on them. But if I'm in a place of fear, then that means that I'm constantly trying to manipulate somebody or I have anger or I had this. Yeah, emotion that is just continually residually influencing me, which again, influences everyone around me. So if you can just make it that simple, again, back to simplicity. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to do. Because in the heat of battle, we don't have the luxury of being philosophical, we have to actually be able to say, this is what I'm doing. Everything else can go to hell. This is what I'm focused on. And Once we get through that thing. Now we have the ability to look back and have genuine perspective as opposed to, again, a fear-based idea or just an unnecessarily loving idea that is not practical as well. So we have to have all of those things.
2: Yeah. And the first time you told me before that you launched the show and I learned the name, I was like, man, that's so good. That is so, so good. Because, you know, I've been reading in the Bible. It's the same analogy. It's like there's a debate about, you know, how are we saved? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works, you know? And Jesus is like, well, if you are truly faithful, you're going to work. That's going to be the fruit of your faith. If your faith has no fruit, then, and it's the same thing. If like you've said, you know, a million times knowledge without action is what did you say dead? What is the quote? Um,
1: knowledge that is acquired, but unutilized is the equivalent of ignorance.
2: Yeah, that's it.
1: It's like not even knowing it. You might as well not even have read that book or listened to that podcast because you're not applying it. And frankly, you're not even giving it to anybody else. So it's just fruit that's rotting on the vine. Yep. That's it. That's exactly it. And again, David prayed all day, right? But he eventually picked up a sling. He eventually picked up a stone. And he went out and did some stuff. Yeah. That's one way you can defeat the Goliath. You can't sit here and just hope that it's going to happen. There has to be a lot more to it than that. So I know that you do hard things. I know that you do hard things continually. I know for a man to be 100 he has to sweat every day. Having said that, can you tell us about an adversity that you faced that at the time you didn't feel like you were going to be able to get through it? Like it was your lowest point. But once you got through it, you were able to look back on it and see this is what I gleaned from that. This is the knowledge, this is the wisdom, this is the gift in this adversity. What would
2: that be for you? Well, most recently, I just went through it, but I feel like it's so close that I'm like, "Ah, you know what? I just, I'm going to wait to talk about this one, but I'm definitely going to talk about it. So I'm just going to default back to what it was before this year because this year has been tough. But when you find out that your youngest, gets hit by a truck and run over, you know, and, you know, you arrive at the hospital, you see that his head is all bloody. His eyes are rolling in the back of his head. You don't even know if his skulls cracked open. His brain is exposed. You don't know any of those things. And his ear was torn off, literally torn off. And, you know, I literally, I walked into the emergency room and I lost it. I went outside. I lost it. Just like lost my crap. And then it took me literally 30 seconds. I got back together, went right inside and started praying. And that was hard, man. You know, it was so hard because I didn't know if I was going to lose my son. I didn't know if I was going to, if he was going to have brain damage. I didn't know what was going to happen. But what it led to was I had already been saving since July of the year before to quit my job. And I realized in the last couple of months that I was starting to get to that point where I'm like, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit longer, maybe, you know, those excuses of like, not wanting to finally leave the reservation and go on your vision quest. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And then this happened. And right before this happened, my manager had gotten fired and I loved my manager. He was at the time he was fired top manager in the country, top performer in the country, had never done anything against compliance, was just an overall great dude, you know? The year before, only two managers from the whole company went to our president's club trip to Turks and Caicos and he was one of them, Uh, you know, and it was me and my teammate who took him there because we both got to the top and, you know, for two people on the same team, that's kind of a big deal. So our team, he's a great leader that and then Dean getting hit, what it forced me to do. My mom was telling me, I hate how I keep throwing my mom under the bus, but I, I, I have to tell you this because my mom was like, Papa, why don't you just stay a little bit longer and just wait for them to fire you? You know, it's, it's a, you know, you could do that, right? You could do that technically. You get an extra five, six, seven grand, whatever it is. And I just couldn't, man. I couldn't do that because I was like, I want to announce this to everybody. I want to turn around and move forward. And so what I ended up doing was I took off the rest of my vacation for the year. And then when that was done, I put in my two weeks. What else did it give me? Well, I took my vacation. My oldest son was seven at the time, and he wasn't going to have to stay home because his brother was having to stay home for six weeks. So you had the, the neck brace and all that. And so up until that point, me and my youngest were close, but never as close as he and my wife were you know, he was his mama's boy and he, he's the youngest. They, they had a, and he, as it is, he's more like her. Desmond is more like me. Desmond's like, you know, never met a stranger who'll go right up to Dean. He's like, you got to win his trust. But man, those, those weeks together, I promise you, man, there was a time that we played for three hours straight once. And I looked up and I saw that it was three hours later and I was so blown away. And our relationship was the, got to the best it's ever been. And it's never gone back. Like now he's a Poppy's boy. Like, you know, he's, you know, when we have poppy days, he'll first time because I always wake him up. Like if, if I'm home, I hear a scream every morning. Poppy! That's the first thing he does right when he wakes up. So I got to go to him, you know, touch him a little bit, grab him, pick him up, bring him to the couch. And he would wake up every morning and be like, and he would show his five fingers because it's five days. And then the next morning, he would say four, because that's the next poppy day. And he wants to be with me. He wants to be like me. He wants to, he's like, puppy, buy me those shoes so I can match you. You know, like I would have never, you know, it was the worst day of our lives, man. It was, and then the hospital, he has sensory processing disorder and all 500 people touching him at all times. It was the worst for him, but he got stronger too. It was like exposure therapy, you know? And you know, the part of it was kind of sad because like by the third day they had broken him and he was the most compliant patient ever, which he never was before that. And it was kind of sad to see how they broke him, but he got to that point where he was like, I don't want to be here anymore. If I do what they tell me, I'm going to get to leave. (laughs) Play the game. Yeah. So, I mean, so many benefits that I would have never known. And thank God I got to see the best side of people around the world who were praying for us. Real good foods sent us real good pizza. You know, I had a bunch of sponsors send us stuff and I was like, I don't need food. And I was like, I realized, yes, I do. I don't have time to cook. I'm like, you know, we've got so much stuff going on. Thank you. You know, thank you so much. Allie Miller sent us a bunch of stuff for Dean because they knew that he had to be on antibiotics and she was like, let's restore his gut. And she gave him probiotics and all this stuff. So it was just, um, it was hard, man. But, you know, even if something else would have happened, it was such a defining moment for me that I grew so much. And we never, when it's happening, we never want it. We go kicking and screaming every time. But it's like, man, every single time, feel like i think it was jocko that first said this and i was like you know what he's right there's not one thing in this world that i could look at not one experience that i can say there's zero good of that came from that there's always going to be something and like for people to really know that is so important because at the very least you can say well i realize that i'm in the middle of this story and I haven't seen that part yet, or maybe it's happened and, and there's, it's, uh, something's blocking me from seeing it. But in reality, all of it, you know, it's crudely said by Nietzsche, you know, what doesn't kill you make you stronger, but it's it kind of is, you know, like, you know, even if you lose an arm, you're stronger in another way. Now, you know, you're going to get that other arm's going to get strong. You know, there's always, there's always something, you know, there is, and I'll work with clients
1: and Goggins talks about the 40% rule. Oh yeah. And my goal is to double that for them, get them to about 80%, but people will say, why don't you get me to a hundred percent? And I'll say, because there's that 20% buffer for adversity, like, like for real, the real life stuff. Like, so we have all these self-imposed things in our lives, but just like you said, a cancer diagnosis, somebody getting hit by a vehicle, a family member being injured, us getting injured. That's something that is outside of our control. So if we're continually maxed out above and beyond what we should be doing all the time, one, we're probably doing the wrong things. And two, when something really does hit us, we may not be prepared. That may be the thing that breaks us. And even the break can be positive, but the idea is what is a kind of belief system, a kind of routine, a philosophy that is scalable, that is something that you can do consistently. And that's the way I look at it because once they find out that 40% is barely scratching the surface, that allows them to demand more of themselves. As a leader as a husband as a father right our employees are like our kids they don't do what we say they do what they see us doing they repeat what what they they see us doing they imitate what we're doing so if the people around you are not succeeding you have to ask yourself how am i failing them Mm. what am i not doing and that may mean i need to step up that may mean i need to be more resolute i need to be more disciplined if not for me then again for these other people So that's how, again, that accountability, that knowledge that there's gravity in everything that we do, that everything that we do has a repercussion, even if we don't see it. And whether you call it karma, whether you call it faith, it's there. Mm -hmm. And whether it be a client, whether it be a customer, whether it be a product, it's all in there, even if we can't put our finger on it. So with that understanding, that allows us to go through everything, even before we begin a workout or even before we begin a session. If I come to it with this mindset of, well, I'm going to go in there and do the best I can. That's very different than if I sit there and breathe and say, what I'm about to do is important. What I'm about to do is going to change the lives of either myself or somebody else. And if I go on with that intention and I have that, and now I do the best that I can, there's a lot more that we can get done in the process, right?
2: What you're telling me seems to me, it's like, it's the ultimate honesty with yourself. You know, if you had some sort of watcher, you, that was always on guard in your mind and just be like, no, you're not. You're so full of shit. You're going to try your best. What do you mean? What do you even mean? You're going to try your best. To me, saying you're going to try your best is telling me, because I know myself, that you're going to wait until you hit that point and you're going to quit when you hit that point. Right. And you're the one who's always like, that point is where things start. You know, that's That's what you've always said. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, being honest with myself means that I'm actually going to say, this is what I'm doing today. And this, like, it just, it's taking the extra time really just define what it is that you're going to do. But I just love the way you do this. Obviously, I'm sure it's a challenge to get them to value this. But I think if you can put it in the right words for them to say, for you to tell them everything is important because it not only affects you, but it could affect someone around you. That's a- Maybe just knowing their situation, knowing that you told me you're having issues with your wife. What is this going to do? You know, it's not just about you. And I mean, gosh, the best whys always involve being able to serve others. Because like when I went to AA, it was like I really thought I didn't think this, because I knew that my life was pretty privileged, even though we we were bankrupt, we didn't have we had one bathroom, you know, we were we grew up, we didn't have we ate the same thing over and over, we didn't eat out, we we didn't have a lot of money. But you go to these places and you're gonna hear f- five million stories that are worse. And even with those stories. I remember being like, man, see, that would give me a reason to complain. But even then, you learn after a minute or two that like, from just doing the steps, is like whenever you feel all up in your ego and all of us have ego issues, addicts are just fortunate enough to have an ego issue in an area that leads to bad consequences that are public and that can be financially and health-wise devastating. But we could say the same thing about computers, porn, all those things, Absolutely. and all these people are walking around in the world, addicts, but they always told us, whenever you feel like you're getting all up in your ego, go serve, you know? And you notice that like the person who, why is it that so many of the most successful people, when you, when you see them at conferences and someone's congratulating them, they never take credit. They're always lifting the people around them up. Because they are genuinely in it for another reason. Because if you make that million, hundred million, what the hell else is left to do? That's it. It's no longer about money. So what are you going to do now? Why don't you do it from the beginning? Because check it out. How cool is this? When you do it that way, you're going to make more money. Like for me, I remember I told you earlier this year, it's, it's been a rough year. And, and financially, the biz- I'll go ahead and say that. The, the business was not doing well. I considered working for the man again. I even I even prayed about it. I interviewed, bro. I interviewed wow. and I and I went over and I said, God, just make sure that I I know one way or another clearly if this is the right way to go because I've kind of seen this. I kind of I can do this, you know. You know, just starting to like politic with myself and right and Ra- <laughs> rationalize, rationalize, dude. I love when you said that, man. So good. And like, I remember getting there and it was in Clearwater. And obviously I hadn't put two and two together yet. And I find out halfway through the interview that they're like a a Scientology company. And I'm not judging people who are Scientologists, but I know as an organization, they're brutal. Legally, they destroy you. Like you have to sign all types of non-competes and all this stuff. But on top of that, I know people who've worked for them because I live in Tampa and people work in Clearwater. They own 60% of the stuff. How terrible it was for them. But all these this time, I remember that going through a period there where I was just like kind of up in the air and and not knowing what to do. And I think that one story took me off. But I was basically trying to remind me where we were right before I started this little tirade. We were
1: we were talking about how initially there was a point earlier this year when you were having some trouble and that made you consider maybe going back and working for somebody else. Yeah. You were talking about how when you were in AA you heard other people's stories. And how that if your story was yeah. that bad, you would have a compelling life from that.
2: Yeah. The main thing is that when you actively say, I'm going to do this for to build other people and, and I'm going to do this to help other people, you're going to do so much better. You're going to be so much more successful, right? And I brought that up because number one, if you have people working for you, they can see genuine care and concern for them and knowing not being transactional about it knowing that this is the best thing that I could do for this person and not because it's going to give me a big return. Mm -hmm. When I started doing that with my money, I remember I, I had been praying about giving 10%, you know, just I had never done it consistently. I always did it when I had the time. And I remember earlier this year, there were times where I was like, I would pay all my bills. And I'm like, I got no money, you know, like I'm not, I've got money left to give you God. And ever since I started As soon as something comes in, I'm literally checking my bank account every day. Like If I make 500 bucks here, I'm sending 50 bucks to wherever I'm donating at the minute. And this month, I've given hundreds and hundreds of dollars this month. I'm really excited about that. And it's like, how funny is it? Same as the analogies, that it's the same as that guy who from the beginning focused on building up others and on helping others because he knew it would have a bigger impact. It would change more lives. That's why he did well. You know, it's amazing how, you know, obviously I think it's God. I think it's, you know, when we're working in our purpose and the reason God put us here, you know, we do better, but it's amazing. There's something about good intentions (laughs) that really affect everyone around you and get everyone around you better, not just you, you know? And so many people think that you can either be
1: successful or humble. You can either have genuine, no bullshit grit. That's what we're sold
2: because it's always like this person's only rich because they stole from that. That's it. I mean, and that happens, but not nearly as much as not. And like you said, you can still work on your business and your financing
1: as well as your personal development, as well as the people around you, as well as being very honest with yourself. Because I work with people that have these incredible businesses, yeah, but they've given up like 40 years of their life, 50 years of their life where their body is needing to be given attention where they need to have that discipline, Mm -hmm. where maybe their communication with their spouse is not there. Maybe their kids are a stranger. What did you win? You didn't win anything. You, you have this capacity, but now you are in a very comfortable place and miserable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. As opposed to doing these other things. So we can have genuine gratitude and still be honest with ourselves and saying, I'm not pushing hard enough. And everybody seems to think that it's binary, but, even with what we're talking about, you and I have known each other for some time. I'm looking very much now into that Tim Ferriss idea of the only people I talk to, the only people I do business with, the only people who shows that I'm on are people that I know, love, and trust, people that I want to know for the rest of my life, people that if I say, hey, I had Danny Vega on, I think he's incredible at this. You should do his program or follow him or, or learn from him. I can say that without any kind of Compunction. I don't have to worry about, "Eh, I don't know, maybe he's doing some shady stuff I don't know about, or I've heard that you did this, or I heard that this happened at a conference. It's like, so true, man. And in this arena in which we live, there is quite a bit of that. So being very honest, being very no nonsense to ourselves allows us to be much more objective about the people that we're around. So I think that's key. Listen, I know that we've been on for a while. I just want to ask you one more question before we go. And uh, I'll have to have, have you on again because we could talk for hours. Danny Vega,
2: if you woke up tomorrow paralyzed from the neck down, what do you wish you would have accomplished with your life? Is it a regret or is it something that I, I wish that I would have done by, before I get to that point? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with the second one because I, I don't really don't have any regrets. And like I've had this last year, I got away from what really made me successful. And it was because of fear, you know, it was like, well, maybe this will work. So I got to do this and a little bit of this too. And a little bit of that. And then I was like, wait, what am I doing? This is I'm, I'm spreading myself all these places, but I will say, I guess if I were to be paralyzed the neck down, I would want to know that I did everything that I could to prepare my voice. you know, like everything that needed physical attention. Cause I know it's going to, it's going to be a long road. So in mind, it might take a while. So, for me, it's the same reason why I'm afraid of crashing a plane when I fly. It's because I'm not going to be there for my boys. You know, like I just, it breaks my heart to think that I would be gone before they were 18. So, you know, anything having to do with just making sure that my boys are taken care of and my boys are, because I get hard on myself and I get hard on them, but it's from a good place and maybe. Certain times it's been from fear, but a lot of the time it's because it's not fear, it's a sense of urgency. Like, how do I tell you this? Because you have no way to compare this to, but your life is easy and it's going to get much harder. And so if you're not doing this now, the stakes are going to be much higher. So if you can't handle your brother getting under your skin... I promise you it's going to be much, much worse. And if you're not prepared for that, you are going to suffer greatly in life. And I don't want that for you. You know, so that's my biggest thing. Like, you know, both of them, I have specific concerns with the oldest. He's such a good kid that I need to definitely make sure that this is not from fear because I, I, I've talked about this with my wife. Like sometimes I've acted out of fear because he's different than me. And I'm like, how am I going to get him to this place? maybe it doesn't look the same as it does for me you know but at the same time i know that there are things that have to be done before he's a man before i could tell him he's a man and for him to believe me because i could tell him you're a man now and if he hasn't done it and if i don't believe it he's not going to believe it even if he thinks he does i would say that yeah making sure the boys are are set up and that they got all the tools they need to just handle anything that comes at them. it's so true i mean giving him that at the very beginning The way that we conduct
1: ourselves in the face of adversity is an indication of how we will do everything else in our life. So if he can handle his brother, if he can deal with this person that's being a pain in the ass, if he can see through the lies, it's amazing how hollow a lie looks when we know truth,
2: (laughs) right? That's how it should be. That's how they see it. It's easy for them to see. They were never indoctrinated either one way or the other, because as I've said before, it's wrong to do that. But at the same time, just for me saying, okay, this is what they say. And this is just the difference. I happen to believe this one. What do you think? Well, Bobby, it's obvious. It's so obvious, you know, like they don't even, you know, I (laughs) mean, you're doing something
1: right. Danny Vega. Thank you so much for being on my friend. Tell us again, where can we learn more about you? The website,
2: IG, tell us all the things. Thanks brother. Yeah. IG is the biggest where I'm the most active. It's dannyvega.ms. And family will pretty much take you anywhere you need to go to. we got the podcast there. There's the store. I took most off the store, just the consults and bundles for the app. And you could still do the app month to month, but I haven't put those up yet. So people that want to do that, they can just reach out to me and, and I'll get them an intake form. But yeah, that's basically it, man. Fatfuel.family and dannyvega.ms. Awesome, man. Thank you so much, brother. I look forward to uh, catching up with you again. Hopefully in person at some point, right? Dude, I cannot wait to hang out in person, man. Like I can't wait for you to get the opportunity to do your events again. I hope I hope that becomes a thing again.
1: I'm already looking into it. Hopefully next year. And like you said, Florida, Texas, and Oklahoma, they're all they <laughs> all they all love freedom. So we'll figure something out, my friend. All right, brother. Yes. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba.